This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 2, page 46 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to be looking this evening at verse 25 in particular, but as we begin, I want us to read verses 23 through 25, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Hear the word of God. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we can gather and spend studying scriptures together. And we pray that you will use this time to nourish us and grow us in grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And God knew. Knew what? What did God know? The text doesn't say. The ESV is a very exact translation of the original Hebrew text. It simply says, and God knew. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, one reason I like the English Standard Version is typically it does translate fairly literally, simply trying to translate the words into English, which itself involves some interpretation, uh, but at the same time trying to keep interpretation to a minimum. Any translation involves interpretation, but they don't try to elaborate. And God knew. Knew what? Well, it's left ambiguous, and the English translation here does the same. It is interesting to look at how that, that statement is, is handled in other translations of the Bible. Let me give you just a few examples here, some different renderings. Uh, one I came across, uh, not familiar with that much, but uh, was on my uh, Bible Works program, the complete Jewish Bible. God saw the people of Israel and God acknowledged them. The Christ, Holman Christian Standard Bible, God saw the Israelites and he took notice. The American Standard Version, God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. They supply the words of them in italics to indicate they're supplying those words. The New English Translation or the Net Bible, you may be familiar with that if you uh, uh, on the internet look up Bibles online, the Net Bible, God saw the Israelites and God understood. The NIV, God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The New King James Version, God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. 
And the New Living Translation, God looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. So some of those translations, no doubt, get at what is going on there. Uh, and God knew they're the concern that doesn't really communicate anything. So they're trying to supply the sense of it. And some of them, I think, do get at that meaning or at least some aspect of, of what it's saying there, what God knew. But you see, I, when I read this, and God saw the people of Israel, and it doesn't just say any new, it repeats very formally, and God knew. I think it's saying something more than just that God was aware of them. Well, of course he was. This is God we're talking about. Or that somehow he noticed them, as if somehow he had forgotten about them, was off handling some other corner of the universe, and lo and behold, his people have fallen into slavery and they're miserable. And God noticed, um, or even acknowledged. I think it's saying something more significant, more important, because of the way it's simply formally stated. God saw his people, people of Israel, and God knew. So I want us to think about that statement and just kind of explore that a little bit in the context. Uh, because I think that's an important statement, not just about Israel, but about us about what goes on in our lives, what it means when it says, and God knew. What is it God knew, knew then? What is it God knows now? Well, let's look at just a few things. First of all, God knew where they were. After all, God himself had brought them to Egypt through Joseph. Remember back in the book of Genesis how things happened with Joseph, uh, where his brothers, because of dreams Joseph had that seemed to indicate his superiority over them, uh, wanted to kill him, but instead they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And while he was there, uh, he became part of Potiphar's household, and part of Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph and made advances on Joseph. And Joseph, in his integrity, uh, in his faithfulness both to his employer, her husband, and, of course, to the Lord God, refused her advances. And she falsely accused him of uh, attacking her. And as a result, he was thrown into prison for no greater crime than being a man of integrity and being faithful and, and, and loyal to uh, his employer and obedient to the Lord God. And while he's in prison, you remember there was the baker and the butler who get out of prison, and one of them to life, one to beheading, and Joseph says, remember me to Pharaoh when you get out. Well, he forgot all about Joseph. And Joseph continues in prison uh, until Pharaoh had a dream. And this dream involved a future famine to come upon the land of Egypt. And uh, it was remembered that Joseph could interpret dreams. And so Joseph was sent for and he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Uh, two dreams, actually, give the meaning of it, that there would be seven good years in Egypt, followed by years of famine. And so Joseph was put in charge because of his wisdom, because of his understanding of the situation to provide during the good years, grain, so that people would have to eat when the good years ended and the bad years of famine came. And, of course, Joseph's family back in the land of Canaan uh, came to him. And uh, Great stories you read in the, the closing chapters of Genesis, how his brothers came, didn't recognize him because he 
was older and because he was dressed in the style of the Egyptians, uh, and finally his revealing himself to them and how God had used all of that. In that great statement there in, in, in Genesis chapter 50, uh, his brothers now were afraid after their father had died, after Jacob had died, they were afraid Joseph was going to seek revenge. But Joseph, who had grown tremendously during that time, comes back and says, look, you meant it for evil, what you did, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives, including his own brothers, which is an amazing providence of God that even in their own sin, even in that hateful act against Joseph, God used that as a means and a roundabout way of saving their own lives. God really can use sin sinlessly to accomplish his purposes and even to bring good. But as part of that, uh, because of this ongoing famine, uh, Joseph had his family brought down into the land of Egypt, settled in the uh, region of Goshen there in Egypt, so that they would be provided for and so that he could take care of him. You see, it's the Lord who brought his people down into Egypt. And he brought them there for a reason. He brought them there to grow them. He brought them there as sort of an incubator, a place where they would begin to multiply and grow and expand and begin to fulfill that promise that he'd made to Abraham that his, that his people would be like uh, like the stars of the sky, beyond number, like the sand on the seashore. And it was there in Egypt that they began to grow from Jacob's family and from his sons into, into a nation. That's good. But that also became a threat uh, as, as we go on. Uh, into verse chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. But before we look at that, let's just think a little bit about God knew where they were. God had brought them where they were. And let's take a look at that in terms of where we are, where you are, what's going on in your life now. You are where you are by the providence of God. You are in the employment you're in because God has brought you there. You are here in the Atlanta area because God has brought you here. You are married to the person you were married to because God in his sovereignty brought the two of you together. You have the children you have because God in his sovereignty brought you to that place. It says, and God knew. Well, yes, because God knew where they were. God knows where you are. God knows what's going on in your life right now. We're talking about God here. We're not talking about someone whose attention can be distracted, taking care of other things. Uh, we're not talking about someone who is forgetful or absent-minded. Uh, but that God knows, and God knew where they were. God knows where you are. In fact, God brought you to the place where you are right now. The good things, but also the bad things. God is sovereign even over sin, over your sin, over the sins of others who have harmed you or wronged you. And in his grace, he can take that and use that to accomplish good. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew where they were because he himself brought them there. Uh, Paul reflects on this in Acts chapter 17, the apostle uh, when he is in uh, Areopagus addressing the men of Athens there, he makes this, this significant statement, Acts seventeen twenty six. He says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God 
What he's saying here is that God has determined when you live. Wouldn't it be great to have a time machine? I mean, there's so many things in history I would love to visit, love to have seen, love to have just been in the back corner to witness. Well, God did not determine that I should live in the 1600s or the 1500s or the 1800s, but when I live, and the same for you, and uh, we need to be content uh, in that. It also says here that not only the times, but the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God has determined where you live, uh, that you live in the United States, that you live in Georgia, that you live even in the subdivision, in the house that you live in. We serve a sovereign God. God knew where they were. God knows where you are because he brought you to where you are. And God knew. But there's a second thing to think about here. Not only did God know where they were, God knew their misery. God knew that they were suffering. Now, it's interesting as you read this, it says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. They were miserable. They were suffering. As chapter 1, verse 8 said, there was a new king who came up. New administration comes to power in Egypt. Joseph has died. He's passed from the scene. Joseph performed a tremendous service to Egypt. Egypt continued because of God's grace and mercy to Egypt through Joseph. And also, of course, to Joseph's family, God's purpose was to create a safe place where Israel could grow. But after Joseph passed from the scene, after that Pharaoh was gone, a new Pharaoh comes into power who did not know about all of this that happened. All he knew was that there was foreign people within his borders who were beginning to grow, who were becoming numerous, and he felt threatened. He said to his people, this is chapter 1, verse 9, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters uh, over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities. In 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. wasn't the first time and it won't be the last time that fear has instigated inhumanities in the name of prudence, in the name of caution. And that's exactly what is happening here. And it has reached this point. Uh, the king has died. Pharaoh of Egypt, verse 23, has died. And maybe at that point, a transition, they were hoping for better things. It had been a long time. And they were crying out to God for help. God heard them. God saw them. You see, God knew their misery. And it's described here. He heard their groaning. He saw the people of Israel. God didn't suddenly become aware of that. God knew what was going on. Uh, And the same thing is true for us. 
when we are suffering, when we're hurting, when we are groaning inwardly and maybe maybe audibly uh, because of emotional pain or physical pain, uh, God knows. It's not that he's oblivious. It's not, again, that his attention is directed elsewhere. It's not that he doesn't have a clue. God is well aware of our misery. God is aware of our pain. You say, well, that's fine, but you know, there he is off in heaven, and uh, you know, he, he may feel it, he may be aware of it, but does, does he really take it seriously? Well, you have no need to look further than Jesus' incarnation to recognize that God knows what it's like to live in this world. Christ lived here for approximately 33 years. Uh, during that time, uh, he suffered deaths of people he loved. Uh, he knew what it was to work hard. He suffered disappointment with it from those he was trying to teach. He suffered betrayal from one of his closest associates. And he suffered rejection by the very people whose Messiah he had come to be. Yes, Jesus knows what it is to hurt physically, to hurt emotionally. Uh, Absolutely, God knows what it's like to suffer in this world. We can never say to God, you just don't know. You don't know what it's like, God. He does. That's why the Scriptures can say that we don't have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. And that weakness may be uh, certainly include a, a, a proclivity, an inclination to yield to temptation, weakness in the face of temptation, but also just the weakness uh, that comes from living in this world with its frustrations, with its irritations, with its pain. He is able to sympathize with us. See, it says God knew. He knew where they were. He knows where you are. He knew their misery. And he knows what you're suffering right now. But there's a third observation to make about this statement, and God knew God not only knew where they were, God not only knew their misery, he heard their groans, he knew what was going on, but God also knew the plans that he had for them. He knew the plans that he had for them. He had promised Abraham a long time ago the land of Canaan. And yet, he promised him descendants. And yet, he finally uh, you know, brings Joseph along, and Joseph winds up in prison. And yet, and now here are descendants who went into, Israel, into uh, Egypt for safety, and they're in slavery. And yet, God had plans for them. But that's the problem, at least for us. We're in a hurry. Abraham was thinking, we need a baby. Don't have a baby. God promised descendants. We don't have a baby. Uh, he may try to do it his own way. That God said, fine, but that's not how we're going to do it. That's not what's going to, he's not the child of promise. And when it became impossible, God blessed them with a child. Uh, and then Joseph winds up in prison thinking, you know, all I did was try to honor God, and here I am. Uh, and Yet God was using that. And now here's Israel stuck in Egypt, a place that was meant to be safe, but has become this cauldron of horror for them, this slavery, uh, this cruel labor, slave labor. What happened, God? Nothing's happened. 
God's plan is right on track. They couldn't see it. They didn't know it. Joseph, for a long time, couldn't see it, didn't know it. And yet God was working out his purpose. We're in a hurry. Let's do it now. God is in no hurry whatsoever. And that's hard. It's hard for us. But you see, God knew the plans he had for them. God knew what he was going to do. He promised Abraham the land. And in fact, it's interesting if you just turn over a page, end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. Well, look at verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, this is before he died, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. But before he died, he said, the Lord is going to bring you out of here. And when he does, take my bones with you. It was a long time before that happened. And a lot of suffering. And a lot of people in Israel who lived and died and never saw the salvation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. That mean God had abandoned them? No. Just meant the time hadn't come. But God knew the plans he had for them. You know, it's interesting. God puts it this way through Jeremiah. He says of his people, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But it was really hard to see that when they were engaged in backbreaking labor from sunup to sundown in the fields and in the construction projects of Egypt. It was hard to believe that promise that God was going to bring them out of Egypt. And it's hard for us. It is hard when we're discouraged, when there's sickness, when there's injury, when there's financial setbacks, all of these things that we suffer with in this world. It's hard for us to believe that promise of God, that he has plans for us, plans for welfare, not for evil, plans for a future and a hope. God knows the plans he has for you. God knows what he's about in your life, even when you don't see it, even when you don't see how where you are could possibly work out for anything good. Egypt was the same way for Israel. Jail was the same way for Joseph. But you and I know the rest of that story. We know how God did work. We know what was happening. And so we need to remember that God knew. What did he know? God knew the plans he had for them. God knows the plans he has for you, for me, and for us. Fourth and last observation, God not only knew where they were, he not only knew their misery, he not only knew the plans he had for them, but he also knew the perfect time. God knew the perfect time. And I think if anything this passage is getting at, it's getting at that. I do think in many ways the New Living Translation is accurate there. He knew it was time to act. God knew this was when it was going to happen. Now, he knew that before. It's not as though this just suddenly dawned on him. But it's also no coincidence that as soon as that's said, we come into Exodus chapter 3 with the call of Moses. You know, Moses and this bush that's burning and yet not being consumed. And Moses goes and the Lord calls to Moses out of the burning bush. 
He tells them, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And oh, by the way, Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. Which brings us into a whole different thread of God's providence. How God preserved Moses in spite of the fact that the Egyptians were trying to kill the sons of the Israelites, and yet the Lord preserved Moses. In fact, had him raised in Pharaoh's own household with all the learning, the advantages of Egyptian royalty. How's that for irony? God was at work through Moses, and now he brings these two things together. Moses growing up in the royal palace and the suffering of Israel, and he brings the two together in order to bring his people out of their misery in Egypt. What a magnificent thing that they never could have foreseen, that someone from Pharaoh's own home, who nevertheless was an Israelite, a Hebrew, would be the one, humanly speaking, to lead them out of Egypt. You see, the Lord knew the perfect time. It's no coincidence that it's followed by the call of Moses. No coincidence that God had been preparing Moses for this. You see, God's timing is perfect, even if it seems like a long time to us. Even if it seems like it's never going to happen to us. We need to recognize and remember that God's timing, then and now, is always perfect. God never misses an appointment. God never misses something on his to-do list that he had planned to do yesterday but forgot to. God's timing, then and now, always is perfect. I think there's great beauty and power in translating the phrase here as simply and directly as possible. And God knew. It allows us to contemplate all that that statement means contemplate what it was that God knew, as we've been doing a little bit right here. You know, this phrase actually occurs only once in Scripture, stated this way, and God knew. And it's stated at a place of great suffering. It's stated in a place of apparent hopelessness, when, if anything, it appeared God had no clue. Just the opposite is true. God Knew. You see, God heard the groans of his people. He saw their misery. And God knew. And the good news is, he still does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a, an omniscient God, that you know everything, and you know it all at the same time. Lord, to quote the psalm, that knowledge is too wonderful for us. It is too lofty for us to be able to get our brains around. And yet it's true. And Father, as we follow this story on through Scripture, we see how you had bigger plans than just Canaan, but the world. Bigger plans than just the mere physical descendants of Abraham, but those of the faith of Abraham, those of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ your people, people who would span the globe. Father, we recognize that you are still at work in the world. 
but not just on a big scale, but in our lives, in the details of our days as well. Father, it is sufficient for us that you know. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.